Adventure Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you back for the final show of the week. Good one coming up. Chris Hine joins me here in just a little bit to talk Timberwolves basketball, um, D'Angelo Russell trade, um, you know, dead trade deadline, the implications of that league-wide, but particularly with the Timberwolves, Mike Conley coming in, what that means, what that means now, you know, for right now, what it means down the road, why the Wolves made that move. We heard from Tim Connolly on Thursday night as well. Chris will offer some perspective on what the Wolves president of basketball operations said about the trade, what he liked about it. Just some interesting kind of uh, fallout from it and maybe a little bit of a tumultuous end to the D'Angelo Russell era. Chris and I'll get into that a little bit. I'll, I'll add a little context to that as well towards the end. Um, got to <laughs> got Justin Jefferson winning an award, but almost overshadowed. Um, overshadowed and winning Offensive Player of the Year by his quarterback, Kirk Cousins, singing at the NFL Awards show Thursday. Get to that at the very end of the show in case you missed that. First, though, what did I really miss? Let's start with the Wild. <clears throat> it's kind of funny. On Thursday afternoon, I was in the office for a while, <clears throat> had a moment of quiet, and I was kind of coming up with segment ideas for Friday's show, and I knew I wanted to, to, to drill down a little bit on the Wild and some of the struggles they've been having offensively and specifically in five-on-five situations this year compared to last year. So I'm gathering up all these all this data from you know, hockey reference, natural stat trick, things like that, and I'm like, oh man, but they play tonight. I can't record a segment right now. i got to wait and see you know what uh, what happens against Vegas does that change the narrative does that give me then a, a cause for a pivot point say hey this was a struggle until now uh, but it got you know it, it changed against Vegas is, is there or or is something going to happen that kind of dilutes the narrative that I was coming up with and uh, folks I'm here to tell you that uh, the wild uh, actually played directly into the narrative losing 5-1 to Vegas on on Thursday night, a really dismal showing for the Wild. And um, as luck would have it, as as I was putting together a lot of this information, um, their one goal was a power play goal, so zero goals in five-on-five situations, while Vegas got, I believe, three in five-on-five situations and did not get a power play tally. Got a penalty shot, but did not get a five-on-four power play goal against the Wild. So, some thoughts on the Wild and just kind of where they are right now and kind of how we've gotten to this point in the season where they're struggling now, struggling to score goals, um, you know, lost three in a row coming out of the All-Star break, started with that bad loss to the Coyotes where they had the 2-1 lead in the third period, but kind of let that one get away. And then, of course, you know, losing to better teams now, Dallas and Vegas in consecutive nights, but really kind of a microcosm of a bigger problem and a structural change this season with the team um you know and I I I hesitate to say it's necessarily um even a a bad thing overall the way they're the way they're constructed this year the way they're trying to win this year but I think at the end of the day we have to frame this as a team that underwent a pretty significant stylistic change from last year to this year and one that was probably forced by the recognition that they probably overachieved offensively last season. I'll get to some of the numbers on that in a minute. And that, frankly, they just had a talent drop-off from last year to this year, too, with which was necessitated by the trade of Kevin Fiala, which was necessitated by 
Parisi and Suter hitting the books in a way that they hadn't before. Those buyouts are going to be a problem, and that does cause a certain talent drain. Now, here's what I think is happening a little bit with the team right now. I think they're in a little bit of a lull because sometimes they still want to be that team that can come back and win, but they're not that team right now. Last year's team, so many comeback wins, so much fun, and it's more fun to win 5-4, to come to racing back, dramatic win, pull the goalie. It's more fun to win like that than to grind out a 3-2 win or a 3-1 win or a 2-1 win or whatever it is. I know the points count the same, but the process is different. And I think this year's team has by and large bought into the new identity, but sometimes struggles with it because when you get into these lulls, these pockets of a season where you're not scoring, where it's not fun, then you have some problems because you need to score at least a little bit, and then you start to get a little bit too aggressive in certain situations and things all fall apart. Now, Dean Evison had something to say about that after the loss to Vegas, that 5-1 loss. Here was the first thing he said along those lines after Thursday's game. Yeah, I mean, we're trying to do, you know, trying to come out of it, and everybody's talking about the goals and this and that, and I'm sure they feel that, we feel that, uh, you know, we got to do something a little bit extra, and you don't. You have to uh, stay structurally strong. Now I still get the sense, like he said, that, that the defensive lapses bother him more right now than the lack of scoring. And I don't know if they should. I think both of them should, should bother him equally. I don't know if they just need to stay the course or, you know, kind of play their systems. Yes, they do to a certain degree, but also they got to score. Like maybe something needs to change scoring-wise. Um, because five on five, they're not getting it done. Let's run some numbers that illustrate that before we get to another Dean Evison quote. So this season, the Wild in five on five situations updated through Thursday's loss. They have scored 85 goals and allowed 91 goals five on five. Now you remember they were tremendous five on five hockey team last season. That was basically the thing that carried them to that franchise record in points that that sent them soaring into the postseason. They scored 207 five-on-five goals last season and gave up 150. They're averaging almost a full goal less five-on-five this season than they were last year. They scored about 2.5 a game five-on-five last season. This year, it's about 1.7. They're giving up almost exactly the same, 1.8 in five-on-five situations, but they're not scoring at nearly the same rate. Their expected goals this year per natural stat trick, and it's about the same in hockey reference, is 98 in 5-on-5 situations. So they're not scoring as much as they should be in terms of where you might expect them to be. But there's also some outliers from last year that are catching up to them in 5-on-5 situations and across the board. Um, Ryan Hartman last season had 33 even-strength goals. 33 even-strength goals a year ago. He has five this season. Um, Kirill Kaprizov had 33 even-strength goals last year. Um, This year he has 15. Of course, no Kevin Fiala this season. He had 27 even-strength goals for the Wild last season. He is not on the team anymore. Team shooting percentage is down overall this season. They were number two in the entire NHL at 11.4%. 11.4% of their shots went in the net last season. That was number two in the entire league. Some of that's some volatility. Some of that's quality of chance, but some of that is just volatility from year to year. Maybe think about that 
somewhat of a luck category. Think about that, maybe like turnover differential in the National Football League where there's going to be some variance from year to year. Some of that is luck. They are 22nd overall this season. They're shooting just 9.5%. That's below league average. And like I said, 22nd overall. So some of this is explained by not getting as many pucks to go in the net because they're just not scoring on as many of their shots. But the saving grace is that they've been much better in five-on-four situations. The power play was such a problem last year. The penalty kill was such a problem last year. They're outscoring teams 43-31 to 31 in five-on-four situations this year. And that includes shorthanded goals and power play goals. Last year, they were outscored 65-47 to 47 in five-on-four situations. And that really hurt them in the postseason. So if you think about how they're constructed right now, they might actually be in better shape playoff-wise once they get there, if they get there, than they are right now. But this year's team is a lot different than last year's team. And that was another thing that Dean Evison said after the game on Thursday. <laughs> we talked earlier in the year about it's a different team, right? Um, you know, there's some reasons we think, obviously, and we can't, you know, not going to get into everything. But, yeah, we, we haven't. It's different. It's a different feel from last year. It's not the same team. It's not the same feel when we get down um you know and obviously our confidence is whatever I'm not crazy about the you know we got to find a way to to gather that too but um you know we got to keep grinding we got to keep the the thought process the belief that uh, that that we're going to catch some breaks and I kind of hinted at this earlier but no better illustration of the difference between last year's team and this year's team at least in terms of an individual group than the top line last year's top line Ryan Hartman, um, Kirill Kaprizov, and Matt Zuccarello had 83 um, even strength goals between the three of them. This year, they have 32 between those three guys. Now, some of that's a little bit Hartman has been injured for some of the season, but a lot of it is just straight up that those guys have not been clicking in the same way. They've been reunited for the last couple games. It has not really mattered. That line's still not going right now. That's maybe their last hope. That's maybe their best hope for getting this thing going at a certain point because that line was very good 5-on-5 last season. It just hasn't been the same this year. But that is one of the biggest differences between this year and last year, in addition to Kevin Fiala not being there to anchor that second line. Now, not all hope is lost, of course. Like I said, much better on the power play, better on the penalty kill, better in the special teams overall, maybe better equipped to win in the playoffs if they can get there. But right now, kind of right on the fringes. Can they get there? I don't know. It's it's, going to be a battle over the last 30 games or so. I guess the the biggest picture takeaway from this is that this team's got to find that kind of sweet spot that they've been in at various points in the season between scoring enough to win, being disciplined, but not confusing their identity between last year and this year's team. I know it's not fun all the time. It's not fun to win necessarily the way you win. The points count the same. If they can get back into that mode where they score enough, where they don't feel desperate enough to start chasing pucks and giving away those turnovers, like Dean Evison was saying, that is probably their game this season, even if it's not as much fun, and even if it does stand in stark contrast, and even if it does mean maybe they're not as good of a 5-on-5 team as last year, it does stand in contrast, but maybe it is the way forward. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. 
Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Let's bring in Chris Hine right now. It is late on uh, on Thursday as we record right now. Um, Chris wants to go to desperately wants to go to bed. I've been keeping him. <laughs> uh, we had to wait for Tim Connolly to talk. We had to wait for various bedtimes to we occur to, for my children. Say, we had to wait for your kids to go to bed. Yes, yeah. we had to wait. <laughs> there were a lot of delays on uh, on Thursday. <laughs> I, I I knew all along that I wanted to talk about the trade deadline. I did not know it would be so eventful, um, Chris, in, in many ways. But uh, wow, um, D'Lo is gone. I talked about that a little bit on Thursday show already. But Chris, from your perspective, and after hearing from Tim Connolly Thursday night, what what do you think of the over? What were the overriding things that were driving this deal for? You know, to, that D'Lo's out and Mike Connolly is in, and with these other you know other pieces and, and draft picks along the way. So I think it's three different things um, that were in play here. And that's kind of what I gleaned from what Connolly said and kind of what you could just kind of look at this trade on the surface and, and, and pull apart on your own too, without having to hear from him. Number one is a different stylistic fit when it comes to how a point guard will be operating within this framework of Towns, Gobert, Edwards moving forward. Definitely somebody who's got a lower usage rate, who's not going to take as many shots, not as a, uh, you know, you don't have to get him necessarily going on a given night the way you would with D'Lo for him to be really effective. More of a pass first setup man. And Connolly emphasized that in some ways he thinks as, as Connolly has gotten older. Yes. Um, yeah, th- that's going to trip me up. For, yeah, adding the computer, however, however, however long, however long Mike Conley is with the Timberwolves. Different it's gonna, spellings, it's but gonna, the, the names are very when you, when you similar. say it. Yeah, when yeah. you say it out loud, it, it, it's hard not to maybe, confuse the two. Maybe we need to over enunciate Connolly and <laughs> right. Conley. Maybe we need to do that from now on. Um, but as he's got, as Conley has gotten older, he's become more of a game manager, according to Tim Connolly. Yes. Um, so that's one that's one facet of the trade is just and we've seen it too since since Carl Anthony Towns went down you you can't have a night where Anthony Edwards isn't somehow heavily involved in the offense and that you know not that I, I I'd have to go back and look but the early part of the season everybody was kind of inconsistent with how things were operating offensively yes. um, in terms of like number of shots they were getting and things like that but if there's one thing we've learned uh, over the last 40 games or however many it's been since Carl's been out. Um, it's that ant needs to be the focal point pretty much of this offense with, and Carl is likely the one B or number two option because yeah. ant, ant drives all of the, a lot of the defensive attention. Um, so that's what number one, a different stylistic fit. Number two, um, and not that, Connolly spoke ill of D'Angelo Russell in this department, but mm. he raved about uh, Connolly's, uh, you know, just habits, uh, culture setting, you sure. know, all those all those buzzwords that you hear a lot from NBA GMs and people in right. charge, and how much of an impact that's going to have on a younger roster. Uh, specifically with Anthony Edwards. And, we, and we've heard this going back from when Gerson Rosas was here, sure. the need to surround Ant with veterans who do things the right way and make an impression on him. We saw it with uh, Ricky yeah. Rubio that first year, sure. Pat Bev yep. last year. 
you know, Austin Rivers to yep. a certain extent this year, and now here comes Mike Conley. So right. that's that's another prong in this trade. Now, being that effusive in his praise of Conley, being that does make you think that they weren't at least getting as much of that from D'Angelo Russell as they would want. And, and you know, Russell's at a different stage of his career. He's not a young player anymore. He's in his eighth year, just like Towns is. But, you know, he's... Mm-hmm at a different stage of his career, maybe not at that kind of veteran dispensing wisdom phase, or, or maybe just a, a not, maybe that's just not how he's wired necessarily. Or at, what did you, the contrast, maybe, there maybe stands, the latter the, there. Yeah. yeah maybe the, the contrast latter. there stands out to me that he would praise Conley in that context, suggest that they weren't getting what they, maybe the, the same things out of D'Lo. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be an indictment on the kind of player person D'Angelo Russell no. is. Um, it's just a different, different guy, a different and approach, what, and maybe it's what, different and what, maybe tone more, setting. More what they um, need because Anthony Edwards maybe needs that. Yeah, yeah, different tone setting. Somebody who has also been through uh, several playoff battles. Um, you know, I think him and Gobert would be easily um, off the top of my head I, the most playoff experienced people on on this roster. D'Angelo Russell for you know even though he's younger, has not been through that. And we no. saw that that came back to bite them last year against right. Memphis. Um, so, yeah, I think it's – I think Conley's experience in big moments, is just his experience navigating, I think it's his 16th season yeah. this year. Um, they value that. You know, you can, you can argue whether that's something that should be valued um, or not, but it is something that they value. Um the right kind of culture fit. And that's one of the reasons why they made the trade. The third reason, and uh, I think it's also a significant one, is the financial aspect of this. Right. Um, D'Lo was about to be an expiring contract who could have left in free agency, and it would have complicated their ability to operate in that sweet spot between above the salary cap and below the luxury tax. Right. Um, they, they wouldn't have just been able to take Delo's 30 million to $31 million and just sign people for that much money, you know, cause you need to be under the, you need to be under the cap to do that. Right. And, Correct. And in this case, now they have that slot where he's already on your team, where then you have the kind of maneuverability that you would want. Right. Right. And you can, you know, trade out of this trade out of it. You know, you can, you can work around it and do things with it. So now Conley who's making, you know, I think it's like maybe eight, nine ish million less than, than Russell this year. And it jumps up to like 22 million or so jumps up to 24 million next right. year. Um, you know, we'll see what they do um, with that, but the timing works out because, if let's say Conley just walks after next season, the Wolves do have a lot of money coming on the books for the yes. 2024, 25 season. They have Towns' super max. They have Edwards uh, likely max extension coming on the books and Jaden McDaniels likely lucrative extension yes. uh, coming on the books. So that's three very large contracts that they're going to have to accommodate for the 2024, 25 season when Mike Conley's contract at 36 years old would be expiring. So now if from that, from that timing standpoint, it kind of makes sense. It it does. I mean, I think I like the move in a lot of ways. I mean, a lot of it to me, and we've talked about D'Angelo Russell on this podcast plenty, and I've talked about it by myself plenty. I mean, 
he's a good he's a good player in a lot of regards, but the fit always the fit felt weird, especially when Chris Finch arrived. It just never quite seemed like D'Angelo Russell was the Chris Finch point guard, right? I mean, I think Finch tried to make it work. I think he he could make it work in certain ways, but the way that the the way that D'Angelo Russell runs offense seems a little bit at odds with the way that Chris Finch might want to run an offense, and especially as Ant got further into his career, needed the ball more, was gonna gonna have a higher higher usage rate. Having a point guard like D'Angelo, even though those guys work well together in this last you know two or three month stretch where where Russell was shooting better, it's never felt like that was quite going to be the sustainable you know partnership or model going forward um so you know part of this for me was you know a little bit of addition by subtraction even though russell had been playing much better this year the other interesting piece to me is that conley and gobert obviously have this history and you know the last couple seasons in utah obviously it's not just them it's it's a lot of guys there you know jordan clarkson they had joe ingles for a while obviously donovan mitchell um, a lot of other good pieces there but they had like the number one offensive rating one of those years number three another one of those years, those guys have a pretty good thing going. How do you imagine the pairing of Conley and Gobert potentially unlocks some of the stuff that they wanted to see from Gobert that they just haven't seen that maybe Russell and Gobert weren't developing quickly enough? Yeah, well, I mean, you just look at the time they spent together. It was like three seasons worth of experience. So um, there's some muscle memory built up there and, you know, you know, we'll talk more maybe with Finch tomorrow at shoot around specifically about how that's going to look. Um, but, you know, I can't say I've gone back and watched a lot of film currently as to how that's going to work. Right. But, you know, I'm sure that in 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 moments there's going to be things that those guys can fall back on when other things may not be working that they'll be able to try. And, you know, just maybe little two man actions that they used to do once upon a time and and try to try to get things going. Um we saw how much of a struggle it was to try and get on the same page. And there was a lot of frustration there with D'Angelo Russell at times. Um, you know, I think back to, and I wrote about this for Friday's paper. I, I think back to a moment in Charlotte after they lost to the Hornets. And I just asked him, a, I asked him a general question about just the, just the fit with Gobert and, and how things were going. And, and his answer was very short <laughs> and to the point. Yeah. It was, uh, he catch the ball, he'll score. That's, yeah, yeah, that's what he said. Uh, you know, it was kind of the the first visible sign of, of frustration. That was late November that that happened. Um, so it was it was a frust- it was frustrating for for Russell. I think at times, um, not that you know it was unworkable or anything like that. But here you have a chance to to bring in a guy who's already worked with them for three years, and you you put all the other stuff on top of that and. Um, you know, from the Wolves' point of view, that's why they did it. A few more things for you. I mean, one being we don't know exactly where this is all headed, but you know, this, this doesn't feel like this isn't the final move in any kind of roster construction. This is a piece of the puzzle along the way that gives them, like you said, like we talked about, a little bit more flexibility into next year with that salary slot preserved. They got three second-round picks in this trade. I don't think that can be discounted because they lost, obviously, a lot of draft capital in the Gobert trade. And even though these are second-round picks, not first-round picks, they've added, you know, the ability to either draft or use those as, you know, ways to get other players uh, potentially in, in future trade deadlines or other trade scenarios. But 
you know, the roster at this point, I think, like you said, the hierarchy seems like it was cleared up a little bit more because, you know, Edwards seems to be clearly emerging as, as the one. If and when Towns returns, you imagine he has a pretty outsized role still, a, a high usage, but there's not kind of this D'Angelo Russell kind of third wheel kind of in the mix anymore. Conley's a lot more kind of uh, role players, maybe a wrong word, but maybe at this stage of his career, kind of like that, more of a connector than he is a star player. So you see, you've got that piece kind of figured out, but you know, big picture sense, how do, how do you feel like this, this all fits together and kind of what's the, what's the next evolution? Because even, you know, even still when those Utah teams were really good, they still got, you know, knocked pretty quickly out of the playoffs because teams could find a way to beat this, uh, beat this style uh, when, when push came to shove. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's been such a whirlwind the last 24 hours. I haven't given much big picture thought to of course, anything. Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, you wonder, you do wonder defensively, just look, just, I'm just spitballing here as, course, I, as yeah. I think about it. You don't have a ton of speed on the floor. No. Or quickness, right? You have Ant and you have Jaden. And Carl is quick for a big man, but yeah, not quick but not a four. overall. He's not, right. He's not right. quick for a four. He's quick for a five. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you don't have a ton of quickness in that, in that sense. So I wonder how that's going to work. Now, maybe that favors playing a, a drop where it's just, hey, Rudy's at the rim. And if guys go by us, it's not the worst thing in the world. You know, and we'll just yep. secure the perimeters as best we can and let Rudy deal with the inside. But, you know, I don't know how successful that's going to be because one of the things that Utah struggled with in the playoffs was just containing the ball. And, you know, Rudy felt like he had to be in two places at once at times. Um, and that's how he got, quote unquote, played off the floor. Right. So I don't know. I don't know how it's going to look defensively. You know, we'll see how, how it meshes. You know, obviously Conley, you know, in addition to having three years worth of offense with Gobert's three years worth of defense with them. Yeah. You know, they have Ant and Jaden on the ball, or maybe, you know, just in in crunch time lineups, maybe Conley comes off the floor and you have Ant, Jaden, uh, Kyle Anderson, um, Carl, and Rudy as your as your potential lineup or a closing lineup or something like that. Um, yeah, unless you're going against it, five smalls kind of kind of lineups that would not be a good lineup necessarily to defend <laughs> that but yeah against, yeah, against certain teams that could that could be your best lineup against a lot of teams depending on what the personnel was it does give them i mean i feel like the depth of this year's team which has been necessitated in different points and we saw that you know obviously in that utah game where you know luca garza scores 25 points and then noel has 30 you know they they get a double double from the rookie that's never playing i mean it, you know they, they've got some guys that have some you know, kind of unique skill sets to be able to help them in certain configurations. It is just kind of interesting to imagine how it all does eventually fit together. Um, bigger picture that's an easier one to answer because it's more of a retrospect than a look forward. I mean, it's been exactly almost exactly three years to the day since Russell arrived, and a lot of factors play into why this thing never quite got untracked the way Gerson Rosas would have imagined it. I mean, you know, a month after he gets here, there's COVID. There's, you know, the the season shut down. They don't get a lot of time together right away. There's kind of 
that weird space where, you know, he and Towns don't get really a whole lot of time to work together at all. The chemistry between Towns and Russell on the court never seemed to quite click in the way that they might have wanted it to. Uh, Ultimately, how do you characterize the three years here? And and to you, was this just kind of an inevitability, you know, whether it was after the playoff series last year or or just going into the contract year that this was going to be the outcome and not some sort of long-term partnership via an extension? Yeah, I think when Russell came here, I think Gerson Roses had this idea that he was getting this point guard at like 23 years old, you know, who had just been an all-star. Timeline, yeah. Timeline, right. Who was ascending in his career and had had these leaps in front of him, right? Yeah. You know, and, and those leaps just never really happened for one reason or another, right? Um, I think that was the expectation that like he had traded for this, this person who was, you know, Gerson was in, was in Houston, uh, back in the day when they trade for James Harden and Harden, you know, his career takes off from that moment in time. Right. And everybody thought Harden was a really good player already. It's not like he, he came out of nowhere. Um, but he went to a whole other level once once Houston traded for him and kind of built the the machine around him. Right. Um, so Gerson comes in, and I think he was trying to maybe maybe recreate a little bit of that with Russell, where it's like you take this guy who's like a borderline all star already, yeah. and you surround you put him in the right situation, and all of a sudden he's making the leap, um, you know, into all league kind of player. Uh, it just never happened. Um, that's not to say Russell's a bad player, um, but you know he's he he is basically kind of who he is, who he was back then. You know, I, there was never really too much improvement um, year to year that you could really notice. Um, yes, he's having his best shooting career year of his career, um, but you know he also had the best year of his career in a contract year previously. Is that yes. is that sustainable? Going forward, is is this his first significant leap where he's going to become a forty percent three point shooter for the for the peak years of his career? I would tend to think not, um, just based on his track record. Um, but I think that's I think that's it. There's just never those those leaps that I think they were expecting once upon a time, and the synergy with with Carl, you know, never quite matched up on the court to their own admission. Um, so, you know, just a, just a number of factors, not to say it was, it was a failure of a, of a term. I mean, last year was a, was a, a good year for them overall and kind of set this franchise back on the right track. But, you know, it was never the, I think the pipe dream that everybody had three years ago. No, that's a good point. And maybe kind of leads into the last thought. I mean, you know, this partnership ending does mean, you know, the, the trade they made, I think it makes the Lakers better. And I, does the NBA now have a rule that um, that Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt have to be traded in tandem? Because this is the th- <laughs> someone pointed out to me on Twitter. This is the third straight time that they've been traded together. Is it not? <laughs> it it is. It's a, it's the third straight time they've been traded together. Third straight time that Tim Connolly has been involved. <laughs> That's true. In a trade with them. Yes. Um, it's amazing. So I don't know what's going on here. Um, yeah, they're just uh, kind of joined at the hip in that sense, I guess. But, but the Lakers got better. The Suns obviously got better with the Kevin Durant move. 
The Mavericks got better recently when they added Kyrie Irving. I mean, if if the West, you know, if your Q&A with Conley a week or two ago where he's talking about the West being wide open. I don't know if the West is quite as wide open. Well, you know, it's a, interesting. As... We I asked that to him, actually, okay. tonight, uh, just his opinion about the Western Conference last uh, landscape. And he said, he's like, yeah, you, you see all these moves and things like that, but let's see how everything shakes out and how guys gel with each other and how teams, you know, actually fit together okay. after making these moves midstream. So, you know, he, I think he was a little more skeptical as to how everything, and, and listen, you got to throw the wolves in that mix too. I mean, yeah. they made a pretty significant move here. Nothing, nothing says they're going to be clicking right away either. So, you know, we'll see. Um, I, th- I think he clearly sees value though in this season still, even if this is not a championship roster yet, that he's not, that he was not willing to say, it doesn't really matter so much if we make the play-in playoffs or miss this year. I think it's. I think that still holds value to him. I think it does too. But I also think you you have to have it hold have value to you. You can't. You could. When you made that trade for Gobert, you can't punt on any year. Yeah. Um, barring a significant rash of serious injuries to everybody involved. Yeah. Um, you just don't. You know, first of all, there's no there's no draft incentive to do it this year because you True. don't have a you don't have your pick. Um, so there's, you know, no incentive from that reason. Um, but yeah, you've got a, you've got a limited window here. Rudy Gobert is not getting any younger. He's in, he's in his thirties and you have to maximize the years that are in front of you here. You have to maximize the time that Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels are still on their rookie deals Yeah, because it's going to become a little harder to find a point guard. If you're just tracking things out down the road you know, with, with how their contracts are going to be coming on the books, you know, where do you get your point guard in two years? Who is your point guard in two years? Is it 37 year old Mike Conley at that (laughs) point on, on a new deal or where's that point guard coming from? Um, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. So you can't, you can't afford to punt on any year. You got it. You got to put, that's the pressure they put on themselves by making that trade. Yeah, well, and, you know, going, I think now 20 and 17 since Towns got hurt probably gave them a little bit of a, okay, you know, if we're, if that's what we are with, you know, Gobert's missed some time in there. You know, obviously Russell didn't, hasn't played in a few of those games, including obviously last night right before he got traded. Um, if you can do that with, with kind of the assembled parts, maybe something could happen down the stretch here, you know, like I said, if and when towns comes back and again we don't know anything about that that's still very much hanging out there unless they unless that was addressed tonight in some way it wasn't no we still don't have a there's no timetable right um and we saw a few weeks ago that that carl was fairly angry when there was a timetable put up put on his return right and you know people started asking about it so they're very they've been very careful not to put any sort of timetable on his return well I'll, I'll save all the conspiracy theories and stuff for another day because I do think it's interesting what might happen here going forward. But I do think they've positioned themselves for the rest of this season to be interesting, gave themselves a chance this year, um, see what Mike Conley can do in that you know in that role, and, and see where the rest of this roster kind of takes shape around that with Conley minus D'Angelo Russell. Um, do we how do we know yet how soon they'll they'll he he will he'll get in here or, or Alexander too. We don't know. Um, we'll see what happens tomorrow. They're listed as questionable, so you know 
just based on definition of that, there's a chance. Um, but I don't know what the hurdles are like in terms of clearing their physicals and all that stuff. And if they do that, you know, do the wolves just want to throw them out there without any acclimation to what they're doing? You know, I don't know, but we'll yeah. find out in the morning. We always do. Well, Chris Hine, appreciate it. Go get some sleep and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Good stuff from Chris. As usual, final point that I will make on this, I'll circle back to something he and I were talking about earlier when he was mentioning how Tim Connolly was praising Mike Connolly's veteran presence, how he will be kind of a better fit in terms of kind of molding this roster and being a leader, things like that. I can't help but think that there's a subtle, polite contrast being stated there by Tim Connolly to D'Angelo Russell and between him and Mike Connolly Jr. Now, I don't think he's trying to trash D'Angelo Russell on the way out. I don't think that means that D'Angelo Russell is a bad player. What I do think it maybe means is there was some indication maybe that Russell wasn't always the best teammate in the world and that they think Mike Conley Jr. will be a better fit as a teammate standpoint. Whether he is as good of a basketball player as D'Angelo Russell is right now, I think that's debatable. I think D'Lo probably brings more to the table to a certain degree in certain skill sets, but I do think Mike Conley Jr. is a better fit for this team um, on the court and quite possibly off the court as well. Let's finish with the cooler. I expected Justin Jefferson to win Offensive Player of the Year in the NFL, which he did on uh, on Thursday. Kudos to Justin Jefferson. Big award, big season for him. I did not expect at any point Thursday to see his quarterback, Kirk Cousins, on the NFL award show singing with Kelly Clarkson about Tom Brady. Um, that was a moment. Kirk in chains, in a suit, singing a little bit, talking about Tom Brady. Um, it was a, it was a viral moment, I guess it was, it was awkward, just awkward enough. It was, it was awkward in the, the vein of Kirk Cousins awkwardness. It was endearing to a certain degree. If you missed it, it's all over social media. So go check that out. Kirk Cousins having a good year in terms of his image, in terms of his, uh, his marketability, things like that. And uh, you know what? He is still the guy who threw all those passes to Justin Jefferson this year and helped him be the offensive MVP, offensive player of the year of this league. So there you have it, Kirk Cousins. Quite a season for you. And, uh, yeah, go sing with Kelly Clarkson whenever you want. That'll do it for this week. Plenty of good stuff coming up next week. We'll see you then. Enjoy the weekend. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again on Monday.